G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. People who consider grace is a net. We, I'm just going to sin. After all, I'm covered by the grace of God. You're mocking the love of God. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is finishing a message about God's grace and what Paul says about it in Romans chapter 6. Let's continue now on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, here's my concern. I'm afraid that I've been preaching so much about grace that we've started to abuse it a little. Is that possible? Yes, it is. And I'm going to read to you in a moment people who were abusing it and what Paul said to them. Now, stay with me. Do you remember Charles Blondin? The guy who walked across Niagara Falls from the Canadian to the American side on the tightrope. And can you imagine, in two and a half hours it takes, and he, he, does, he does this for three years. And there's no safety net. So if you fall, you die. Can you imagine the concentration it would have taken walking across that tightrope every single day in summertime? If you lose your concentration, but for a moment, you're dead. When I was growing up in Elizabeth in Tennessee, two times a year, huge tents would come and fill the center of town both in the month of July. Early July, it was the tent revival. Late July, it was the carnival. And I got to tell you, looking back now, oftentimes it was hard to distinguish between the two. Because I'm from the sticks. And the revivalists would come down, they'd be handling snakes. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They'd be doing all kinds. I thought, man, am I at the carnival or the revival? I couldn't tell the difference. But I remember when I was about eight years old, And the tent was bigger that year, and it was huge. And they had this rope stretched across from one side to the other, and a guy gets out with a big, long balancing pole and real tight, looked like underwear to me, but I'm sure it wasn't. And he starts walking on that rope, and he walks all the way across, gets the cross, then comes back, and all the people are just, wow. And then he would climb down the ladder, and then behind the black curtain, Stepping out onto the rope were the clowns. And they would pretend like they're going to walk. And then you know what they'd do? Whee! Just jump into the net. Whee! This is fun. They didn't even try to walk on the rope. To them, 
It wasn't about tightrope walking. It was about net jumping. We, we'd all laugh and we'd say, man, that's funny. They had never had any intention of walking on the road. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? I'm afraid that I've talked so much to you about grace that you don't even make an effort to make the changes. And when you hear a message and you know there ought to be a change in your life, you just go out in your car and you drive away. And you say, man, that was an interesting sermon. Pastor Jeff sure was funny. But you missed the point. And there's no effort. You don't even try to walk the tightrope. Your whole life, whee, let's just jump into the net of grace. And folks, that's not on. That's not on with God. As a matter of fact, the people who tried to abuse this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And Paul uh, was a great theologian because he always anticipated what someone would say to his argument. And so here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6 to a group of people who thought they could abuse grace. He says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? You know what they're saying? Well, if, if my sin glorifies God in the sense that it shows how merciful and gracious he really is, why don't I just sin a whole bunch of those? Then God looks really good on how kind and merciful and forgiving he is. And Paul says, wait a minute. May it never be. That's the strongest phrase in the Greek language. Heaven forbid. No way. Why? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When you came to Christ, you agreed that sin was destructive that it wounded the heart of God, and that it destroyed you. So why would you even think about going back into it? Verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? What? What are you saying? Verse 4. Therefore, as we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. He's saying Jesus' body was different after the resurrection from the way it was before the resurrection. We too, when we were baptized, when we came out of the water, our body in some way is different from the body that went down into the water. In what way? Verse five. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, his body was different. He could walk through walls, appear, disappear, reappear, go up to heaven in the ascension on a cloud. His body was more powerful. And now Paul is saying, so also after your baptism, you are more powerful, knowing this, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We are not controlled by this guy anymore. We control him. We decide what we're going to do, and he has no power over us, verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Paul says, if you really got it, you'll know. When you came to Christ, you understood that sin is so destructive that it separates you from God to such a degree that you don't want to do it anymore because you want to live the abundant life. And people who consider that grace is a net, we, I'm just going to sin. After all, I'm covered by the grace of God. And you make no effort to pursue conformity with the image of Jesus to respond when the guilt comes, then two things are happening. Number one, you're mocking the love of God. Because according to the Bible, God experiences everything in the eternal now. You know what that means? God created time. Therefore, God is not limited by time. In God, everything is the present. Everything happens simultaneously. Which means that in God's mind, Jesus is on the cross right now, dying for your sin. And every time you sin, 
and you say yes to sin, then it's like you're driving the nail deeper and deeper and deeper into the hands of Jesus. So when you sin right now, you are crucifying him right now, all over again. Well, not really all over again because it's happening in the eternal now. And that's why when I meet a young lady like I did a few weeks ago, and I challenged her, and she said, I'm leaving my husband. And I said, why? Not because he's beating her, not because he's verbally abusing her, not because he cheated, not infidelity. She just said, well, I just thought I'd try something new. And I said, but that's a sin. And she said, I know, but God will forgive me. That's not on with God. That's net jumping. That's not tightrope walking. The safety net is there for when you fall. And you make every intention to live a godly life. And if that's your attitude, God will catch you when you fall. But being a Christian is not about pretending like you're going to walk the rope and then saying, wee, into the net of grace. And so the spirit comes in and you know you shouldn't see that movie, but you do. You know you shouldn't date that man, but you do. You know you shouldn't cheat on the test, but you do. You know you shouldn't meet with that woman, but you do. Visit that website, but you do. Treat the person this way, but you do. Gossip, slander, malicious talk about somebody created in the image of God, but you do. You try to tear up a person, you do. Even though you know you shouldn't spend your time doing this, but you do. Even though you know you shouldn't smoke, drink, or eat this, yet you do. And even though you'll never admit it, down deep in your subconscious is the belief that, well, I'm saved by grace anyway. God will forgive me. So you don't walk the tightrope. You just simply jump into the net. I know that I should engage in the word of God. I know I should give more to kingdom purposes. I know I should be faithful to my husband or wife. Forgive this person. Go to my brother, confront him for restoration. All this, lead my family. All this, support my husband. All this, obey my parents. All this is there, but when it comes, even though you'd never admit it, and would never claim that you live your life pragmatically in this fashion, down deep inside, here's what you're saying. I know it's wrong. God will forgive me. And you've become a net jumper. And if that's you, you don't understand the degree to which sin impacts you. Susanna Wesley, John Wesley's mom. I have read so many books on theology, so many books on definition of sin, but I have never read something so clear as what Susanna Wesley wrote to her son, John Wesley. Now, do you know John Wesley was one of the greatest preachers in America. He preached a lot of sermons. That's 5,000 sermons on horseback, which means he was the second sermon on the mount. Okay, bad joke, bad joke, bad joke. All right. (laughs) You got to tell a bad one every once in a while. Here is what his mother said to him when he asked to understand sin. She defines it in a, a way that's much better than any theologian I've ever read. Whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. Avoid these things at all costs. Whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. Avoid that at all costs. You think about that for a moment. When you sin, it weakens your reasoning so that the next time it'll be easier to justify what you're doing. When you sin, it will impair the tenderness of your conscience so that the next time you can't quite make out the voice of God who says, don't do this. If you sin, it obscures your sense of God. 
If you continue to willfully do something, then you, you stop being able to feel the presence of God in your life. And people tell me all the time, I just don't feel God. Maybe if you started obeying him, you would feel him again. Or whatever takes away your relish for spiritual things, the more you violate what you know to be wrong, you get to the point where you don't even desire to do the good anymore. I want you to listen. Grace is not, grace is not license. It's the safety net when you fall off of the tightrope of intentional holiness. God will catch you every time. He will always forgive you. But my question to you, God holds your hand in his face and he says, do you get this? I love you and I'm merciful and I will forgive. But when the conviction comes, obey it. And whatever you're doing, if you're here and you're living as a net jumper, wee, I'm not even going to try. What's the, what's the use? God forgives me. You've missed it. And that's not on with God. And his discipline will come. It will. And even more, or at least equal to that, is that God places his light in you so that you can be a light to others, so that they can see you saying, no, I'm not going to go to that movie. No, I'm not going to eat or smoke or drink that. No, I'm not going to do these things because my body's the temple of God. I'm not going to do it. And then they say, why? And you say, because I have someone who loves me and I love them. He paid his, the penalty of my sin for me. And if you're, not, if you're not saying no to those things, you're not pursuing the middle, then the light's not shining and you're not compelling people. In fact, you may be repelling people. You think about that. My friend Ravi Zacharias says, the greatest witness to Christianity is the Christian. The worst witness to Christianity is the Christian. Either way. So here's what I want to ask. A simple question. Is that your attitude, man? Are you pursuing and are you walking that tightrope with everything that's in you you want to do? I didn't say you'd be perfect. It's impossible. You're going to fail. I do, you do, we do. But we're, gonna, we're not going to go down without a fight, right? You, did you see the Rocky movies? I love those movies, man. The first poster of the original Rocky movie said, it ain't over till it's over. And man, they weren't kidding. This guy gets the sweat beat out of him almost every movie. First it was uh, uh, Apollo Creed, right? And then the rematch because Apollo Creed wanted to fight him again. And then it was Mr. T or James Clubber Lang. And then it was Ivan Drago, the Russian. Remember those guys? I don't know who was next. I'm still waiting for Rocky 7. Rocky meets Rambo. Now I think that'd be cool. <laughs> you could do that today. That could happen. That could happen. But here's the point. The point is, Rocky gets the sweat beat out of him and he just won't go down. The guy won't go down. And then I think of that verse in Timothy that says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, an elder must be above reproach. And that's not just an elder. That's the target for which we are all aiming. And that is a boxing term. I love, you know, Paul, I wish we had, Paul was an athlete. He had to be. He uses too many athletic terms. This is a boxing term. That means you might get hit in the face and you might even get knocked down, but every time you stand back up. And nobody exemplifies that better than William Wilberforce, upon whose life the movie Amazing Grace. And 17 years he gets knocked down trying to fight for the abolition of slavery in Europe. And finally it comes to pass. This is what was written about him. 
It is necessary to watch him as he is blessed with a very sufficient quality of that enthusiastic spirit, which so far from yielding that it grows more vigorous from the blows. In other words, knock him down, he gets stronger. There are not many people like that in America today. You hear what it's saying? You knock him down, he gets back up and he's stronger. Usually you're weaker. No, but he's stronger because he says, I won't fall for that punch again. And his resolve is more strong. That is the attitude with which you and I are called to face the tightrope of good intention of holiness and its pursuit. You will fail, but when you fail, man, you're back up and you're saying, that's not gonna happen again. And it probably will. <laughs> it probably will happen again. But you keep getting back up with a resolve. Now, I want you to hear me. Revival will not come to this valley and to this church and to you until you start pursuing the middle. You can kid yourself all you want and you can walk out of here on weekends and you can like the jokes and the Bible stories. But until you make a resolution that you're going to march toward this in your life, in every aspect of it, and you say, I'm gonna, I might fall off this tightrope, but doggone it, I'm going to fight with everything I have. Revival will not come and you will not feel the presence of God as he is meant to be felt and as he desires you to feel him. Holiness is what brings revival. In every decade of human history, it's when a group of people decide, I know God forgives me. I love his grace. I love his mercy. I love it. But you know what? It's the safety net. It's the net that catches me when I fall. My intention is going to be to live a holy life. Can I ask you? Is that you? Does that describe you? With everything you have, you march toward the center. Father, we are grateful uh, for the power of your word. We are grateful for Romans 6 and a reminder that ours is a life that does not abuse grace and that understands the high cost required for grace, the life of your son. And in no way do we want to make a mockery of your love and your passion for us. I pray in Jesus' name that our eyes would have been open this morning and that we would see perhaps for the first time that grace costs so much and your mercy is always there to forgive us, always there to forgive us, always. No matter how bad we fail, no matter what we do, we know it's there. Only help us to with everything within us march toward holiness and purity that your light might shine in us and we would compel a world that is lost and headed for a Christless eternity toward you and relationship and all that is good is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. And that's the end of our message about God's grace. I hope that it's had some impact on you to know that God's grace is good. Next time, Pastor Jeff has a message from Acts chapter 2 about going all in. Is it possible that we could position ourselves so that God would do in the 21st century what He did in the first century? Is that possible? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, 
head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.